I know that uh, as we come together that uh, things are different, at least for the short term. But there are some things that continue to uh, challenge us. I know that uh, for, for me and my family, uh, this last week as we watched the news and as we saw things unfold across our country, uh, not only do we have uh, COVID, but we also have uh, a nation that seems to be unraveling. And uh, I, my heart has been heavy. I'm sure yours has been as well as we try to understand uh, what in the world is going on uh, as we try to understand our place in that. Um, as, a, as a word of caution, um, I would encourage you to um, think about uh, what you're receiving, what information you're receiving, whether it's right-leaning news or left-leaning news, or whether it's stuff on Facebook, CNN, Fox, or, uh, or your social media, uh, your social media choice, uh, that we understand that we are getting information, but be careful of the interpretation that you are getting from those different sources. And this is the good news for us as the people of God. As we come together, we get to look at a timeless source. And we have a way to understand and to interpret that uh, spans a very long period of time. So uh, I would encourage you today to look with us in the Word of God for answers that we might come away with for this world in this present day. For those who've been with us, you know that before uh, all of this happened, we were, uh, we were in the middle of a series where we took a, a book of the Old Testament, and in one Sunday, we went through that whole book. And so we are continuing, we're picking up again as hopefully some, we have some normalcy uh, back in our lives again. And so we are in the book of, of 1 and 2 Samuel. Last time we were here, we did 1 Samuel, and now we're in 2 Samuel. The, this book is actually, these two books are actually one. Uh, they were just Samuel, but because they were so large, uh, in order to get them in scrolls, they had to put them up in two different, two different books. So when we talk about the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, we're really talking about one book. And this book uh, is started chronologically and historically after the book of, uh, of Judges. The book of Judges is this book in which uh, the people of God are learning what it is to be the people of God in the land that God has placed them. But there's some great problems there. The people of God are following after their own hearts. They're doing their own things. And they consistently do not follow God. And they face the reality of a godless community. And in doing that, God would then send oppressors to come. And oppress them. And so their lives would become very difficult and for sustained periods of time until finally the people would call out and ask for a solution, ask for God to step in and help them to send a kind of savior to them. And God was generous and merciful and gracious. And he would send someone, a judge, to come and judge. And that judging was not so much a a, a, a political, I mean, so, so much of a, a judiciary kind of judging, but they would bring God's judgment against God's enemies. And so God continued to send these various judges, and as we meet one judge after the next, we see that these judges keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And by the end, 
In Judges chapter 21, 25, it says this, in, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And those two, those two truths were paralleled several times. There's a, a regular course, and there was no king in Israel, and the people did what was right in, his, in their own eyes. And this becomes the life of Israel. And it is a terrible life. It is a life that is totally in upheaval all the time. And these two ideas are common. There's no king, and the people are doing what's right in their own eyes. It's as if, if they would have a king, maybe they would do what was right in God's eyes. That's the hope. But for now, at the end of Judges, they're facing the consequences of hearts that are continuously wandering in different directions. And truth be told for you and me, we're no different from those people back then. That our, our hearts are routinely wicked. Our hearts go after all kinds of things. Oftentimes, not even to our benefit. Unchecked. Looking after uh, looking after just ourselves, unrestrained. These people were selfish. They, they, were, they had very little perspective on the world around them. They only saw the world from their eyes. It was a terrible time, but there was a promise that there might be a king. So that's how the book of, Judge, uh, the book of Samuel begins. On the, the tail end of this, the, the looking forward to a king. So today I'm going to begin our study in 2 Samuel by looking back at 1 Samuel. And in the second chapter, we hear from a woman whose name is Hannah. Now remember, they've just finished, they're there in the midst of this, this cyclical destruction and oppression. Their world is upside down. Uh, they are selfish people. And then God is going to send a new day. There's going to be a new way in Israel. And God sends this woman. Her name is Hannah. And Hannah is a, a nobody. In fact, she is married to this man named Elkanah, and they have, uh, he has another wife, or at least one other wife, and that wife has children, but Hannah doesn't. And so Hannah is looked down within this household in the midst of very turbulent times. But God uses Hannah, and that seems to be God's way. And Hannah's going to pray a prayer that's going to be fulfilled through the book of, uh, throughout the rest of the book of Samuel. It kind of reminds us of another kind of nobody woman, this Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's, isn't it interesting how God works with these humble, out of sight kind of people? He does these glorious things. And so we're going to read through Hannah's prayer that begins the book of Samuel. And as I do, I want, to, I want you to look for three different things. There is a, a picture of a sovereign king. How God continues to work when everything seems to fall apart. There is a God who is stable, who can be, can be counted on, who is in charge of all things. There's also, we'll see at the end of her prayer, a coming kingdom in which things will be different. You heard the call at the end of the book of Judges. If there was a king, well, there's this promise that there's going to be a king. And the third thing I want you to see is that there is hope 
for the humble. There is hope for the humble. Second, first Samuel chapter two, the prayer of Hannah. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him, actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. This is the upside down world of our God who lifts up the weak and brings down the arrogant. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren, she's speaking of herself, has borne seven, but she who is many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life and brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What, what she prays is fulfilled in the rest of the book. We see that there are three main characters in the book of Samuel. There is Samuel the prophet. He's a kingmaker. And then we see these two kings. We see King Saul and King David. King Saul rises up first. There's great hope. Things are going to be different. There's going to be a king. People are no longer going to go after their own hearts because if they have a king, he's going to bring about justice. He's going to bring about righteousness. He's going to unite the people. And at the very beginning, that's what he does. He brings the people together. They unite and they fight and they push off the oppressors. Saul seems to be a great choice. It seems as if their hopes have been fulfilled in this king. But, you know, it doesn't take very long until we see what Saul's really made of. Although he's, he's a big man, the Bible says he is a head taller than anybody else in Israel. He's this big, handsome hunk of a guy. He looks like a king. But his heart is just like yours and mine. And so he doesn't, he's able to lead his people into victory, but he's not an example he doesn't seek after the things of God. He doesn't lead them into a right relationship with him. And before long, you see, Saul doesn't trust God. He, he quickly fades. He becomes impatient, becomes proud, becomes jealous, becomes, begins to lose his mind and his spirit, becomes like a madman. 
And at the very end of his story, we see that Saul has become not just mad, but he has become demonic. In his last days, he actually goes to a witch and he asks this witch to, to help him understand and to, and to call up Samuel. He seeks truth from a witch. Just a word of wisdom. Don't, don't seek truth from a witch. That's a bad idea. And it, it, it shows his, his deep fall from his position as God's anointed. It comes to a tragic end. But his tragic end is David's glorious beginning. And David becomes the new king. He's anointed by Saul, I mean, by, by Samuel. We see even a few chapters before that, we are introduced to David. And when we're introduced to David for the first time, we see that Samuel goes out, called by God, to find this next king of Israel, since Saul seems to be, since Saul is on such a, a poor trajectory, since he is so, uh, he is so carried away by his own sins and the passions of his heart. He's living like the end of the book of Judges. He is doing what's right in his own eyes. And, and, and Saul, uh, Samuel seeks out David. And many of you know the story. As he goes to the house of Jesse, he calls, he calls Jesse together and he asks to see his sons. And his biggest best son comes out for, first. And, and Samuel is sure that this must be the king. And as the story goes, as each one comes out, God continues to say, no, 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 no. Until finally we meet this insignificant, out in the bushes, youngest son. And it's said of him that he has a heart after God. After we see all that happens to David, we learn that is a common phrase. He was a man after God's heart. And David starts out so good. Some of our favorite stories we tell are about King David, aren't they? David and Goliath. Big tall Saul is scared of the, the even bigger Goliath. As a Goliath, Goliath calls out against the, the people of God. And the response from David is, I, I'm not afraid to go out because I come in the name of the Lord. I'm not concerned about swords and shields and spears. My real power comes from God, a man after God's own heart. And in that day, God wins the victory with David, not for David's glory, but for God's glory. And so we have story after story of, of the faithfulness of David. And we, we find that, that David, as he becomes king, he then takes over the city of Jerusalem and makes that God's holy city. And he can't wait to bring the Ark of the Covenant and have it come and live in that city. And he's so excited that as it comes into the city, he starts taking off his clothes and dancing. His wife says, no, baby, no, baby. And she's embarrassed by him. And he says, I can't help it. I'm just, I'm just so excited to have the presence of God here with us. And then he says, if only then I can, I, I live in this nice house. Let's build a house for God. And he has a great passion for the things of God. You know, David is just like you and me. He's not unlike Saul. One day he finds himself, when he should be out fighting with his men, he, he's on top of his rooftop and he sees this woman who's bathing. 
And then he commits adultery. And as you know, the story goes, he, he sets up her husband, Uriah, so that he is killed in battle so that he can have this woman for himself. In tragedy, uh, the baby dies. And David is in this, this downfall. That's uh, pretty bad. <laughs> I would imagine just about, there'd be few of us in this room, I doubt any, that could be brought up on these same charges as David. That's pretty bad. Murder, adultery. It seems like we're getting the same Saul that we just had. <laughs> the same kind of king. But, but in, in Acts 13.22, when it looks back at the life of David, it says again, he, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. How can that be? How, how can David act like this and still said to have a clean heart, a pure heart? And the answer is that as, you, as we see the story of David, we also are blessed to hear the Psalms of David and his reaction. In Psalm 51, it says this uh, to the choir master. The heading says this to the choir master, a Psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet went to David after he had gone in to Bathsheba. And this is the response of David to his sin. He doesn't shake his fist at God. But he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David will continue his lifetime of making terrible mistakes. Mistakes that cost other people their lives. He, he, because of his sin, the kingdom is divided. Because of his sin, uh, his grandson will, will lose the kingdom. David makes horrendous mistakes. He oftentimes pursues his own eyes. His own heart leads him astray. But he has a great love for God and he continually has to come back in humility and say, Oh Lord, restore my soul. Forgive me. Rescue me from my sin. And this is the way of the people of God. This is your way and my way. We are like King David. We continue to mess up. We continue to go our own ways. Final, final verses here look for a new king. At first, it seems that the, the answer in Hannah's prayer is Saul. And then Saul doesn't work out. And then it's David. And, and David does some better. And the, the kingdom seems to come together. But as we see Saul, uh, David's life, he's not the answer. He's not the resolution that we wanted to see in the book of Judges. There is still a mess. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, though, there's a promise. As God, as God blesses David, he tells David that David's household is going to last forever. Now, it doesn't seem to last forever because in a couple generations already, because they've gone their own way, because the kings are just like David and just like Saul, the kingdom is lost. And his line no longer is, serves as king. 
But there's this promise that there will be a king. And just like there's Hannah, there is Mary. There's the promise, a song that is sung, that a new king has come. And in the city of David, the town of Bethlehem, there was one who was born. The new king, King Jesus. And he's ushered in a new kingdom. A new kingdom that has its benefits now, and it benefits yet to come. So what does that mean for you and me? That means that in this world, we need to recognize some things. That we, as the people of God, are called out into a new kind of community. We are a part of a new kingdom. And if we are going to be following in the kinship, in the kingship of our Lord, we should have a different kind of heart. And when there is trouble, and we are full, we are in a world that's full of people going after their own eyes and their own thoughts. There are people who are listening to the witches of Endor. And our hearts want to go the same way. I, I don't know about you, but as I watched this news this last week, boy, I might just get, amen. And I get frustrated one way or the other. And there seems to be so many things that are confusing. And it's hard to know exactly what we ought to do. What is the response of the church? The people of God. How should we deal with injustice? How should we deal with a, a, a country that seems to be coming apart at the seams? We recognize the truth is not found in, the, in what we're watching, but the truth is found here. The people of God should move forward with humility. We should walk with our God like David walked with his God. To recognize, you know what? We're sinners. Amen. I know some of you, and you know me. We're like David, the best of us. We're like David. We make, we make foolish decisions. We choose, we follow our hearts, and our hearts lead us in the wrong way. As you've been responding to the things that you've seen in the news, I know our hearts have been pulled one way or the other. And be careful. Be careful how you're being lured one way or the other. This world would love to destroy us, but we have the truth. So we apply the principles of God. We recognize that he is the sovereign king. That, that the world has continued to turn and burn all these, all these years, but our God is still squarely seated on his throne. That he holds the pillars of this world in his hands. That he is able and that God changes things. The things that seem low and base can be flipped in a, in a minute by our God. We should expect a different world because our God reigns. And he reigns through his people who should be different from the world. That we should walk humbly with our Lord, recognizing that, Kalia, our hearts are so quick to sin that we need to continue to check our hearts against the things of God. And that we should rush into action and be faithful. As the, the end of Micah says, the, as the end of the, the prophets say, that we should walk with our God with humility. That what is required of... He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly 
with your God. In these moments, confusion and lostness, with the, the weight of COVID-19 and the isolation and the disorientation that comes from that, from, from the injustices in race and race and, and the great uh, riots and looting, and the world seems to be falling apart, the church needs to rise up and be faithful to its calling as the people of God. And we need to walk humbly with our Lord and with each other, quick to listen, slow to speak. Good news. We belong to a new kingdom, the glorious king who is our deliverer. Amen. Lord, we, uh, we lift these words to you and we meditate and receive them in your name. Lord, help us. We need, uh, we need a king who will direct our hearts. We think we have a thankful for a king who has lived holy and righteous and who has spent his life on our behalf. Oh, Lord, that you would call us to do the same. Lord, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in your name we pray, amen.